Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be discussing what is gamma and how does it affect me. This natural law of gamma is highly misunderstood throughout society, throughout humanity, and today we're going to demystify this natural law of gamma that has become very mystical for some and very magical for some. So we're going to demystifying it by helping you see clear as day what is gamma. Because in order to awaken the mind to enlightenment, you need to be able to see this natural law of gamma very, very clearly. So we're going to do that today, sharing teachings from this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. And I'm going to be sharing some content directly from this book, as well as teachings directly from Gautama Buddha as we get going and we start discussing this natural law. As we talked last week, we were talking about greed, hatred, and delusion, or craving, anger, and ignorance, or unknowing of true reality. These are the three poisons. And we've talked in this class about how we remedy that greed or craving through breathing mindfulness meditation, through generosity, practicing generosity. We talked about how to eliminate that poison of hatred or anger, ill will, frustration, irritation, annoyance through practicing loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness in daily life. Well, this third poison of delusion or ignorance or unknowing of true reality One of the biggest things there is unknowing of the natural law of gamma. The way to remedy or eliminate this poison of delusion or ignorance or unknowing of true reality is awaken the mind through learning the teachings, applying them in daily life so that you can see the truth. So then you have wisdom and you understand the wisdom of the teachings and through observing that wisdom on your own independently with the guidance of teachers, the mind then gradually awakens, eliminating more and more of this delusion, eliminating more and more of this ignorance, this unknowing of true reality, and the mind gradually awakens to the enlightened mind. Well, one of the primary things that the mind needs to awaken to in order to eliminate this poison of delusion or ignorance or unknowing of true reality is it needs to awaken to the natural law of gamma and understanding this natural law in detail so that you can see it as clear as day because all of Gautama Buddha's teachings are essentially centered around this natural law of gamma. 
And this natural law of karma is essentially cause and effect or action and result. It's essentially the result of your decisions. It's the effect of your decisions. We're going to get into this natural law in much more detail today, but let me explain to you what we're doing here through learning the natural law of gamma and awakening your mind to this natural law based on a natural law that you've already awakened your mind to, that you may not understand that you've done. At one point in your life, you were unaware of the natural law of gravity. Gravity is a natural law. When you have something, it drops. It's a natural law. You can't see it. You don't know that it's there. The only reason why you know it exists is because you can see it with your own eyes. But at one point in your life, you were unawakened and unaware to this natural law. You had a certain amount of delusion, a certain amount of ignorance, a certain amount of unknowing of true reality. When you were a child, and you were first learning as a child. Every time you got up, you kept falling down. When you tried to walk, you would fall down. When you ran or jumped, you would fall down. When you would put your toys in certain places, they would fall down and break. When you would accidentally you know, hit a glass, it would fall over and the water would empty all over the table. And you might have cried. You might have been upset. You didn't know what was going on. Your mind was unawakened. You were discontent. Every time you fell down, you might have cried. You might have got upset because you were unaware of this natural law. But slowly, gradually, over time, people shared things with you and they showed you things. They guided you. They helped you see this natural law of gravity clearer and clearer, more and more. And you understood this natural law to the point where you were then able to function in the world more peacefully, more calmly, more serenely, more contently, more joyful, because you understood this natural law of gravity. And you understood that you had to build up your muscles, you had to build up your balance, you had to learn how to ride a bike, you had to learn how to put things in a certain place so that when you set them down, they don't fall over and you can keep the water in the glass. You learned all these different ways to interact with this natural law of gamma to the point where now you can pack a suitcase, you can go to the airport, you can get on an airplane, you can travel really far away. You don't need people around you to guide you because you've develop such wisdom about this natural law that you can function in the world with much ease and much success. And you can function more peacefully, more calmly, more serenely, more content with joy. And this is what you did with the natural law of gravity. And it took you many, many years to be able to understand that natural law and slowly awaken the mind, gaining more and more wisdom about this natural law so you could function in the world more successfully. Well, essentially what you're doing with Gautama Buddha's teachings through learning things like the three universal truths, the four noble truths, the eightfold path, the five precepts, the three poisons, now the natural law of gamma, and all the other teachings that I'll share with you in this class, 
you're gradually learning these teachings, applying them, and seeing the truth for yourself so that you have wisdom. You're awakening the mind to these natural laws that are essentially unknown to people unless they've studied and practiced these teachings. We walk around thinking that other people are making us angry until you realize through these teachings and practice that you're actually making yourself angry. And when you realize that and you have that wisdom, then you can apply teachings to change it and eliminate it. We walk around talking rough to people, talking harshly to people, and we think that they're the ones who are wrong. We're doing everything right. And we don't understand why all these horrible things are happening to us in life. We don't realize that we're actually causing it ourselves through our intentions, through our speech, through our actions, through perhaps our livelihood. The more that we learn Gautama Buddha's teachings, essentially what they're doing is they're awakening the mind to this natural law of karma, just like you did with the natural law of gravity. So let's discuss this natural law of karma in detail and I'm going to give you a bunch of examples and I'm even going to take the opportunity to engage the people in the virtual classroom for them to come up with examples as well. So as I'm talking here, I would like you guys in the virtual classroom to be thinking of some examples that you can share of karma that you've experienced, whether it's wholesome karma or unwholesome karma. So, let me talk first, teach it to you, give you some examples, and then I'm going to open the floor and give you guys an opportunity to talk and share some examples as well, because this will help to confirm that you're understanding what gamma is. Okay, so here we go. Gamma. It's a natural law. It exists. Nobody governs it. Nobody administers it. There's nobody overseeing it whatsoever. Let's talk about what it's not. It's not a punishment and reward system. That's not what it is. A lot of people think it's a punishment and reward system. A lot of people think that it's a mystical, magical thing in the sky, in the clouds, that we're creating deposits to and that we're taking withdrawals from. And then at some point at the end of this life, we're going to kind of cash in on whatever the balance is. This isn't true either. This isn't what karma is. What gamma is, is gamma is cause and effect, action and result. Essentially, the effect of our decisions, the result of our decisions. Let's say I move into a new neighborhood. I move into a new village. I move in. Let's say I'm angry. Let's say I'm frustrated. Let's say I go around looking at people harshly. I don't talk to people. Anytime someone comes to my house, I kind of scowl and just kind of not really interested to talk to them and I'm kind of grumpy. Well, my gamma is that more and more in the neighborhood, in the village, people aren't going to want to talk to me. People aren't going to be interested in inviting me to their home for dinner. People aren't going to come to my home and spend time and enjoy a relaxing time in my home because every time they're around me, I'm kind of like a hostile, angry, frustrated person. And I talk rude and unkind and unpolite. This is my gamma. That the effect or the result of my decision, my decision being 
talking rude, being unpolite, being disrespectful, being angry, being hostile, the word kind of spreads in my village or in my neighborhood that this guy is not so friendly. And therefore, you have less and less friends, less and less people. And when it gets time where I need help, maybe I need help digging a hole, maybe I need help building a fence, maybe I need help jump-starting my car, there's not going to really be anybody around to help because of my karma. Nobody wants to interact with me because of the decisions that I'm making in my life. Now, conversely, if I did that differently, if I move into a new neighborhood, I move into a new village, I'm polite, I'm kind, I'm respectful, lying to people, showing people gratitude, being generous, doing nice things in the village, treating the children nicely, inviting people to my home. Not that you have to do these things, but just generally being a nice, friendly, kind, polite, and respectful person. Now, more and more people are smiling at you. More and more people are coming by your house to say hello and just wave at you, check in, how's your day going, how are you, because they enjoy being around you. More and more, you're going to be kind of considered an elder in the village, somebody who people can rely on for advice when they're having a problem or they're having some challenge in their life. They're going to come to you for guidance, for direction, because they see that your life is being conducted so well and you're so polite and so kind and you've got all these people that are interested in speaking with you and helping you. When you need help, you ask somebody, can you help me with this? Everybody's right there to help you. You have more help than you would ever need because you're being kind, polite, and peaceful to all the people around you. So therefore, the gamma of this person is wholesome. They have good relationships. They have good family. They have good people around them. Why? Because they had right intentions, they had right speech, they had right actions, they had right livelihood, the Eightfold Path. They're practicing harmlessness. They're practicing right speech, speaking at the right time. What they say is true. They're not lying. What they say is being spoken gently. What they say is beneficial. What they say is spoken from a mind of loving kindness. They are speaking blamelessly. They have right action. They're not drinking, using drugs, becoming heedless. They're not stealing from people. They're not creating sexual misconduct where they have lots of different boyfriends or girlfriends having sex with lots of people. This person's gonna be looked at in a certain way amongst other villagers and other people. They're not lying, they're, they're a truth speaker. They're not taking intoxicants and polluting their minds. So therefore, they can practice right intention, right speech, and right action more readily. So this person is making much better decisions in their life based on the teachings of Gautama Buddha, which is essentially teaching the natural law of Gama. Through these natural laws, what the Buddha understood is that if you do things like killing other beings, stealing, sexual misconduct, you lie, you're not a truth speaker, you take intoxicants, these things are gonna cause harm to the mind, therefore, you're gonna cause harm to other people, 
and this is going to create havoc in your life. It's going to create problems in your life. So the Buddha refines his teachings all the way to the level where he's teaching you what intentions to have, intentions of harmlessness, non-ill will. He's teaching you to have right speech through the Eightfold Path and the Five Factors of Well-Spoken Speech. He's teaching you about right actions, the certain actions that will produce wholesome gamma and unwholesome gamma. He's teaching you about right livelihood and the ways to ensure that the livelihood that you have isn't causing harm. So therefore, you're not causing harm to others, so harm doesn't come to you. That's essentially what the natural law of gamma is all about, is about if we cause harm to other beings, whether it's animals or humans or otherwise, that harm is going to come back to us. And by learning and practicing these teachings, you will experience less and less and less harm because you're not harming others. And by you not harming others, being kind, polite, peaceful, friendly, calm, having a content mind, being joyful, being friendly, you are going to have a better life. And you will see that your anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, all these things will get less and less because when you have needs, there'll be people to help you. Or when you encounter a difficult situation, you will know how to handle that through the wisdom of these teachings. So that's where Gautama Buddha, he never taught you exactly what to do in any given situation because the variables are so many different variables he didn't say, okay, if somebody lies to you, do this. If somebody cheats on you, do this. If somebody steals from you, do this. He didn't teach that because there's too many variables involved. But what he taught you was how to purify the mind. He teaches you how this natural law of gamma works so that then you can make a right decision for you. Because in any given situation, there's going to be about 10 million right answers. And there's going to be about probably 1 million wrong answers. The wrong answer would be to get angry, hostile, aggressive, frustrated. And of course, that might still be happening as you're still learning and practicing these teachings. And that's okay. You're still learning. But we know if we do that, if we become hostile, if we become angry, if we vent our frustrations, if we allow it to come into our speech and our actions, there's going to be unwholesome consequences for us. Because the more that we are angry and hostile and frustrated and we just vent through our speech and through our actions, people are kind of scared to be around us. Because, yeah, maybe he's attacking that taxi driver today, but tomorrow he might be attacking me. So even though you have friends with you and you guys are all getting into a taxi together, if you're treating the taxi driver in a really bad way, your friends kind of in the back of their mind kind of know like someday he's going to probably treat me this way too. And you can't really have open, healthy relationships because you're treating people badly. So what you need to do is learn through these teachings how to treat all people equally how to treat all people fairly, how to treat all people with loving kindness, active goodwill, how to treat all people with compassion, a concern for their misfortune, how to be calm and peaceful and serene 
content with joy. And in doing this, what you're going to notice is the relationships that you have in your personal life and in your professional life are going to blossom because more and more people are seeing you as honest, as friendly, as polite, as kind, as respectful, as someone that they can rely on. You're going to experience better gamma, more wholesome gamma. Why? Because you're making good decisions, so therefore you're going to have good results in the here and now, right? And conversely, if we make bad decisions, we're going to have bad results. I was just watching a special, not a special, it's a Netflix uh, about the wild, wild west in America. And they had Jesse James on there. I don't know how many of you guys know about the wild west in America. They had Jesse James, they had Billy the Kid, they had Wyatt Earp, they had Crazy Horse and Sitting Bull and all these different people from the wild, wild west. A lot of these people were gunslingers, right? They were outlaws. They went around and they killed people, some of them, and they stole money, right? They drank alcohol. They had sex with lots of different people. And like Billy the Kid, he died when he was 21 years old. Why? because he killed like 23, 25 people. So guess what? He got killed. Somebody came and killed him with a gun because he killed a lot of people. Same thing with Jesse James. Jesse James robbed a lot of trains. He robbed banks. He killed a lot of people during the Civil War and during his criminal career. So guess what happened? At the end of that, somebody in his gang, one of his friends, one of his colleagues, somebody who he was trusting, someone he was robbing banks with, actually killed him, shot him in the back of the head, right? I can go on with these other characters from the Wild Wild West, right? They were involved in unwholesome decisions, which led to unwholesome results. They had lots of complications in life, lots of challenges. They were always running around. These outlaws were running from place to place to place. They could never really lay down roots in any one given place because they were so afraid. They were so fearful because they had done so many harmful things in the world and so many people were looking for them and chasing them down because they weren't practicing these teachings. In the 1800s, Buddhism hadn't made it to America yet. So the outlaws in America weren't practicing Gautama Buddha's teachings. They probably had never even heard of Gautama Buddha. So they were practicing what they knew. And at that time, it was robbing, murder, killing, lots of whiskey, lots of stealing cattle, stealing land, things like this. Lots of murdering, killing Native Americans, things like this, killing a lot of animals. And because of that, that's why it was the wild, wild west, because it was so wild, because everybody was doing all these, these things that were opposite of the natural law of gamma. They were stealing cattle. They were stealing land. They were drinking lots of whiskey. They were having sex with lots of different women. They were robbing people. They were murdering people. They were just looking for money and greed and pursuing gold, you know, during the gold rush. And all of these problems, that's why it was the wild, wild west. It wasn't peaceful. It wasn't calm. It wasn't serene. It wasn't content. It wasn't joyful. The people 
in the wild, wild west, if you look at their pictures from that time, 150 years ago, 100 years ago, they weren't smiling in the pictures, right? Because they're not practicing these teachings and therefore they're not joyful, right? And it's not their fault. They didn't do anything wrong. They just were unaware. They had delusion. They had ignorance. They had unknowing of true reality. They were just living through whatever devices and whichever wisdom they had at that particular time. So these teachings of the Buddha are going to slowly, gradually awaken your mind to this natural law so that then, based on this natural law of gamma, you can make good, wholesome, personal decisions that are right for you in any given situation that leads your life to peace, calm, serene, content, and joy, because that's how you're going to make good decisions that aren't harming others, so therefore harm isn't going to come back to you and cause difficulties in your life. Instead of the wild, wild west, you can create the peaceful, peaceful household that you're part of, the very calm household that you're part of, serene, content, and joyful because you're making good decisions. So these teachings are all-encompassing. There's lots and lots of teachings for you to learn, but they're all based around this natural law of gamma. Cause and effect. Action, result. If you cause harm, harm is going to come to you. Not necessarily instantaneously, right? Because like the example that I gave you of the wild, wild west, some of those outlaws killed 20, 30 people before they finally got a bullet themselves. But during that time, they were very fearful. They were running around. They were still getting their gamma, but they didn't get the ultimate gamma of a bullet to the head until you know later after they had already killed 20 or 30 people. So gamma isn't necessarily instantaneous all the time. Now, when you meditate, that gamma is pretty instantaneous because you're, you're practicing the entire Eightfold Path all at one time. So you get this instant result, this instant benefit, instant gamma. But our other decisions, we sometimes have a hard time seeing how our decisions created this certain event because sometimes it's an accumulation of multiple decisions before we actually see the result of that. It could be several months or several years. But by you learning these teachings and implementing good decisions in your life every day, every moment, every week, every month, your life is just going to improve and get better and better and better and better through learning and practicing these teachings, which are based on this natural law. So I'd like to pause and see what questions that we have from either the live stream in Facebook and YouTube or in our virtual classroom. Hi, David. So we have a number of examples, actually, of people talking about doing harm to animals. Mm -hmm. And in particular, Alea was asking about a woman she knew who used to kill chickens for food. And I actually also recalled a story uh, which was shared by Joseph Goldstein a while back about when he was lobbied to kill chickens in his 20s when he was working for the Peace Corps and how that actually came up in his meditation several decades later mm -hmm. where he, he said it just mm -hmm. appeared and for days 
his mind was pulled back to this imagery of when he had been slaughtering chickens yep. at the time, thinking, "This is you know, I'm a man now. This is this is what I should be able to do." And how it really was such a a, a powerful obstacle to his his meditation. So I wanted to share that, but also a layer is. Let, let me just pause image. you right there for a second, sure. Max. I want to add something to that. So the examples that I gave of wholesome and unwholesome gamma, they're through actions, right? But what Max is talking about and what you're going to observe in your practice is this gamma isn't always necessarily being returned from other people where you're polite and people are polite to you or you're disrespectful and people are disrespectful to you. Part of the gamma can be what Max is describing where and what I describe with the Wild Wild West characters where going around and doing bad things, it produces fear or it produces memories like what you were talking about, Max, of someone who's killed animals in the past and 10, 15, 20 years later that resurfaces and maybe causes guilt or shame or fear because of something that we did in the past. And this is our gamma. Even though we haven't been killed because we killed certain animals, but the guilt and the shame and the, the fear is there in the mind. So that is gamma as well. And I can relate to this because at one time, when I was 17, 18 years old, knew nothing about these teachings, I worked on a farm in America and I used to kill sheep and goats and pigs, things like this. And you know, when I first started doing it, it was really hard for me to do it. And I used to shake when I was doing it. We have to take this knife and we just have to cut the throats of these animals. First, we had to chase them down and then cut their throat. And I used to shake. My, my whole body would shake my, my, when I was doing it. But then eventually you do it enough times that the mind gets desensitized to it and you're just able to do it really easily working on the farm. But that shows you how these wholesome teachings that the Buddha is teaching us you can see the gamma right there, just like the way I was shaking when I would have to do this. And then, yeah, later I used to feel guilty and shameful. And eventually I got to the point where I stopped doing it because I didn't have interest to do it anymore. And not because I learned the Buddhist teachings, because that wasn't until much later. But there was just something inside that I just at that farm, the people were very aggressive. The people talked bad to each other. They were rude. They were impolite. People would throw things at you. People would try to fight me all the time. I would get in fights back in the horse stalls. People would try to order me to do things and they would start fighting me. And I just got to the point where I was like, you know what? I don't even like coming here anymore. This place is, is horrible. I'm not really getting paid very much. I'm not enjoying the time here. The people are kind of rude and just impolite. So I left. And that was the gamma of that place. And because people there are comfortable with killing and doing all these things, they were comfortable fighting. They were comfortable being rude and disrespectful and unpolite because of the killing, right? That was part of it. That was part of the whole package of this particular farm. So yes, part of gamma comes back mentally as well. This is a very good point that you brought up there, Max. So Alea was asking about a lady she used to know who also killed chickens and she eventually got cancer, a kind of cancer, but also she had at times wished that her kids would get sick. So when her kids, I presume when her kids were naughty or something, she would actually wish that her kids would get sick and this same woman got cancer and was throwing up blood for many months. Yep. So Alea asks, was that her karma? Absolutely. 
Everything that happens to us is our karma. We can't necessarily say because she was throwing up with blood, it actually came from her killing. But we know that everything that happens to us is our karma. Every single thing happens because of our karma. So let's just, I don't know this to be true, but let's just say that person got cancer from perhaps eating meat because some people actually get cancer in different diseases through actually eating meat. So because we choose to eat meat, if you choose to eat meat, it causes illnesses, it causes sicknesses. If you've ever had food poisoning, you get food poisoning from meat. You don't get food poisoning from vegetables, right? This is the bacteria that's in the meat. If you leave out a, b a bunch of broccoli on your counter and you leave out some shrimp and you come back like two days later, you can still eat the broccoli. There's nothing wrong with the broccoli, but you can't eat the shrimp because the bacteria and the disease that's been part of it. And if you did eat it, you would get disease, you would get sickness, you would, you would start vomiting and diarrhea and all these other things, right? So cancers, throwing up, vomiting, all these things, it's not punishment and rewards, but it's whatever decision she was making in her life. And perhaps she, this particular lady was stressful, maybe she was hostile, maybe she was vindictive and hatred. You know, she's killing animals. Maybe she's eating different foods that aren't good for her. And all of these decisions resulted in her eventually getting cancer and having blood come out from the mouth. So, again, it's not a punishment and rewards, but it, it's an accumulation of decisions. You know, somebody who is peaceful, calm, serene, content with joy, they're not going to experience sickness they're going to potentially get ill or get sick occasionally because they're still human, but they're not going to have the type of sicknesses of somebody who isn't practicing these teachings. For example, there's research that shows 90% of all office visits to a medical care provider, 90% are stress related. And we have a nurse here, Carol, who could probably attest to a lot of that that we actually put a lot of stress on the body and it comes from the mind. And what they show in research is a lot of the primary care providers and MDs who are seeing patients for various ailments, they can actually trace about 90% of those cases back to stress. Well, where does the stress come from? It comes from the mind. Why? Because it's not enlightened, it's not trained. So once you attain enlightenment, there is no stress. You don't feel any stress. Even Gautama Buddha himself shared attaining enlightenment is like laying down the stress. He used those words, laying down the stress. He even talked about laying down the burden. You don't feel the pressure of the world on your shoulders. You don't experience stress as part of an enlightened mind. There is no stress whatsoever. So therefore, you don't experience sickness and illness as somebody who's not learning and practicing these teachings because those people are going to have a much more stressful mind, which is going to result in more stress to the body and more physical complications and illnesses such as cancer, vomiting, blood, anxieties, depressions, you know, all of these things that we experience in the human condition, a vast majority of them can be brought back to what's going on in the mind. 
even this COVID-19, you know, we can trace that back to people who are involved in selling meat, selling living beings, killing living beings. This jump of the virus from the, the animal world into the human world, it came from people who aren't practicing the teachings of the Buddha. And there's lots of people in the world that aren't practicing them. So it's not like they're wrong or they're, they're fought because all of us have probably eaten meat at some point in our life. So therefore, we've killed animals as part of our decisions. And that's why this virus is spreading out so far. This is our gamma. COVID-19 is our gamma. All of humanity. We've been doing this with animals and living beings and meat and killing for a really long time. This is our gamma as a humanity. So every decision, everything that happens is all human related. There's a certain community of people in the world that feel everything in the world happens because of God. Okay. We are going to have a chapter 19 where we talk about God. It's about 10 weeks from now. Well, the things that happen in this world is not from God. God isn't controlling this world, whether you believe in God or not. If you believe in God, okay. If you don't believe in God, then great. Then you already know everything is because of humans. But if you believe in God, this COVID-19 is not from God. God didn't create this. We created it as human beings, just like we create every other problem in our life. God doesn't kill us and take us away. We die because we were born. That's why the humans die, because we were born. We have to die. Why do we get sick? Why do we get cancers? God didn't give this to us. It was from the result of our decisions. We created this. I can use example with my mom. My mom was fairly overweight her whole life. She was a pretty hostile lady early in life, but then she kind of got more calm and docile later in life. But she made a lot of bad choices in her diet. She used to eat TV dinners a lot, frozen food, lots of sodium, lots of problems. And she was pretty obese her whole life. Ultimately, she died from pancreatic cancer. Her pancreas pretty much gave out. And it was from her choices. It was from her choices to eat bad food. That was her gamma. For 10, 15, 20 years, she ate nothing but TV dinners her whole life. And out of all the food there is to eat in the world, that's probably even worse than fast food is TV dinners, these frozen meals that we just pop in the microwave. So her dying of pancreatic cancer at the age of 66 was her gamma because she made certain choices that led to that. So this lady that Leah's talking about, that was her decisions. Whatever cancer she has, whatever blood she was vomiting, that was her gamma. And again, it wasn't a punishment because there's no one punishing her. There is nobody punishing her and there's nobody rewarding her. There's no, there's no person administering or overseeing this natural law of gamma. There, so there is nobody saying, here's your reward and here's your punishment. What it is, is just a result of our decisions. So Chris has a clarification on, on this point. Chris, Chris asks, is karma a direct one-to-one? -one? So for example, you do a bad act and eventually a bad act is returned, or does it shape a general narrative? So the more bad karma you're generating, the more bad things are likely to happen. Yes. But not a one-to-one. -one. It's, right. the, it's okay. the second one. It's the second one because like, say like, say I'm 16 years old 
I steal some bubble gum from 7-Eleven. I don't get caught. I feel pretty good about that. It changes the mind, the way that I think. And I start thinking that I can steal from people. So now I steal a pack of cigarettes and start smoking that. Now I steal some money from my teacher at school. I get away with that. Now I um, steal a car. I get away with that. Now I steal two or three more cars. I get away with that. Now I get this gang together and we go break into this house and we get away with that. Then we break into a second house. We get away with that. And now we break into a third house and there happens to be a homeowner there and now they kill us with a gun. Boom, 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 boom. We're dead. So gamma can actually be an accumulation. But even during those times, like say that story I just gave you, say it happened over a 10 year period. But even during that 10 years, that person is still getting their gamma. They're still probably pretty fearful. They're probably having a lot of problems in their life. Friends aren't sticking around. They're lying. They're having a hard time keeping jobs. They're having a hard time focusing and concentrating in life. So this person is still getting their gamma. It's not like it builds up and then you just get it all at one time. So they're still having fear. They're still having lack of concentration. They're still having trouble keeping friends. They're still having trouble holding a job. They're still having all these problems in life, but it's not a one for one. It's not a you did this, so this bad happens to you. It's an accumulation of lots of unwholesome decisions that lead to a lot of unwholesome results. Or conversely, it could be a bunch of wholesome decisions that lead to a bunch of wholesome results. And that's what the Buddhist teachings are guiding you to, is helping you learn how to make more and more wholesome decisions that lead to wholesome results. Thanks, David. So we also have a question from Sean. And Sean asks, what does Buddha say in relation to non-duality and everything being causally determined? That we can decide what we will do, but we cannot decide what we will decide. You're going to have to explain causality and duality to me because I see people talking about this on the internet and I don't really understand what they're talking about. <laughs> Help me understand what that is. What is causality and duality? And, and is, is Sean asking about our volition here? So, so we feel as though we're deciding and we are making choices, but how do we decide what we all decide? Okay. And we have a new message. Let me check. So Sean has also... Um, so let me just get started while you're viewing that, uh, Max. We are 100% in control of all decisions we make. Nobody is forcing us to do anything. We are 100% in control and responsible for all of our decisions. This is where people get confused. They think that God is controlling us and making us do things. Or they think that our, our partner or our children or our boss is forcing us to do certain things. Nobody can force you to do anything in this life. You have free will. So even if you're working at a job and a boss is putting a lot of pressure on you to do things that you know are unwholesome, you're still making the decision to do them. And even though it would be hard for you to leave and you would struggle maybe not having a paycheck for a while, you're still choosing to do it. You're prioritizing the paycheck perhaps or the relationship or the ego or something else over making wholesome decisions. So we are in control. 
This is what the Buddha essentially brought to this world because in his region of the world, what people were doing before he started teaching is the farmers and the shopkeepers and everybody, they were going to Brahmin priests and they were paying Brahmin priests to go pray to the gods on their behalf. And then they would go back to their farm and back to their shop. And they felt like, okay, as long as I pay the Brahmin, the Brahmin will go pray for us and everything will be good. But what the Buddha said was like, hold on a second. There's a lot of corruption here, first of all, because the Brahmin kept raising their prices. And for what reason? Well, just because they could, because the people were taught that they couldn't pray to God. Only the Brahmin could do it. So they raised their prices just because they could. But then after they gave the money and they went back to their farm, they still did bad things. They still did unwholesome things. So the Buddha was saying, hold on a second. You're in control of your decisions 100%. It doesn't matter how much money you give to the Brahmin. It doesn't matter how much they pray for you on your behalf. If you go back to your farm or back to your shop and you make bad decisions, you're going to have bad results. You're going to have unwholesome results. And conversely, if you make wholesome decisions, then you're going to have wholesome results. So what the Buddha's teachings did is put the power in the people's hands and he flipped this society upside down. And nowadays we think of the Buddha and we revere the Buddha. We appreciate him. We respect him. We've got huge gratitude for him. But during his lifetime, he was kind of a controversial figure. Because there was all these people that were making money off of society because they had convinced them to give them money to go pray on their behalf. And the Buddha was like, no, you don't need to do that. What you need to do is you need to learn these teachings of how to make a better decisions in your life. So he really upset the apple cart in a lot of ways, and he was somewhat controversial. Now, 2,500 years later, we look at the Buddha with great respect, appreciation, and gratitude for what he did. But during his lifetime, there were lots of people who disagreed with him. Lots of people who disagreed with his teachings. Just like now, even when I teach, there's people who disagree with me. But the Buddha knew the truth. He knew what the truth was. And the more and more people that study with him, the more they were able to see the truth for themselves as well. So I don't know what causality and duality is, but you're 100% in control of your own life. You're 100% in control of that. And if you don't see that yet, then study the Four Noble Truths further. Because right view, the Four Noble Truths, is essentially you're in control of your own life. You're in control of your own mind. Because you're causing all the problems, you can actually resolve all the problems. That's the beauty of this practice. You're not reliant on a God. You're not reliant on all of these other things in order to improve your life, you can actually do it yourself. But you need guidance, you need teachers, you need to learn these teachings, but you can essentially improve the quality of your life through your own good, personal, wholesome decisions. Thanks for that, David. So we have a question from James. James asks, is karma, whether positive or negative, necessarily bound to return to its original actor, or can it can its effects be primarily returned at a societal level? Both, both. Let me explain it. And this is a great time to transition into this content that I prepared for you that I see Max already has up in the virtual classroom. This 
first phrase that the Buddha used in order to teach about karma. I'm going to teach this first, James, then I'm going to answer your question. What the Buddha said is beings are owners of their karma, heirs of their karma. They have karma as their origin, karma as their relative, karma as their resort. Whatever karma they do, good or bad, they are its heirs. Right? So this dispels the myth that some people think that you can actually transfer your karma to another person. Like you can do a bunch of good things and then send it to somebody else. Some people talk about this with merit. They think you can do a bunch of good things and then transfer it to your relatives or transfer it to dead beings. What the Buddha is explaining here is you are 100% responsible for all the decisions that you make. You are the one generating the gamma. Now read that question to me again, Max. James asks, is karma, whether positive or negative, necessarily bound to return to its original actor, or can its effect be primarily returned at a societal level? Okay, so we create gamma on an individual level. Each individual creates their own gamma, and you need to experience all that unwholesome gamma before you can attain enlightenment. You have to extinguish all your unwholesome gamma on an individual level before you attain enlightenment. So if you've been talking to your partner really bad, you've been talking to your children bad, and now they talk to you disrespectfully, even though you're practicing these teachings and you're speaking more politely, more respectfully, you need to teach these other people around you and guide them as well if they're interested to speak more and more polite. Because if you continue to be rude and disrespectful, then your children, your loved ones, your friends, your boss, your colleagues, they're going to continue to be disrespectful to you. Just because you've decided to now practice right speech doesn't mean everyone else around you is going to instantly start talking to you respectfully. So you have to slowly, gradually burn off all this unwholesome gamma that you've already created in the past, in this life. So the more you practice these teachings, you will produce only wholesome gamma more and more and more and more. And by producing more and more wholesome gamma, more and more wholesome results, your life will get better and better and you will burn off all this unwholesome gamma. So you need to do that on an individual basis. You will experience that on an individual level. But then at a societal level, like a country or a village, there's a certain amount of gamma associated with the collection of people. And a good example of this, because it's fresh in the news, is this COVID-19. You can look at a place like Thailand that has had two or 3,000 cases of COVID-19 and very few deaths. Why? Because they have really great leaders and all the people in the country really respect these leaders. They may disagree with them at certain times, but the Thai people respect the leaders because they're the elders of the community. And all these elders at a governmental level get together they're, they've been talking for many, many weeks and they're making certain decisions and then they disseminate those decisions out through Thailand to 70 million people and then the people follow it. 
The people wear masks. The people stay home. The people close their businesses. The people close their schools. If you do go to a store, they take your temperature. They give you gloves. The hardware store that my wife went to the other day, they actually had employees waiting at the front door. She just told them what she wanted. They ran into the store, got it, and brought it back. She didn't even go into the store. So Thailand's leaders have implemented various policies all around the country that is, has created a certain gamma because the people really respect these leaders and the leaders have always done very good, wholesome things for the Thai people. The Thai people have a lot of respect and admiration and gratitude to, for these leaders. They don't want to cause harm in the community. So because of these gamma, Thailand has had two or 3,000 COVID-19 cases and very few people have died. I mean, very, very, very few people have died. Now, let's contrast that with America. In America, we've got a lack of leadership, I, I will say, because I'm from America, I think I can say that. We've got a lack of leadership. We have a society of people, about 300 million people, who don't respect the leaders, who don't respect the elders of the community, who feel that the decisions that have been made over countless generations haven't been in the best interest of the people. So now when this big event happens like COVID-19 and the leaders get together and they try to figure out a way to resolve it and they start disseminating information, people don't trust them. People don't believe them. People don't have respect. So therefore people aren't following what these leaders are suggesting. And because of that, the US has the highest number of COVID cases in the entire world, 300, 400,000 at this point and they have the most deaths in the world. Why? Because that's America's gamma. Because their society as a whole has eroded more and more and more and more over the years to the point where people aren't trusting each other. People aren't respectful of each other. People aren't willing to follow what other people say because of the greed because of the craving, because of the hatred, because of the delusion and ignorance and unknowing of true reality, because all these bad things have happened, because of the corruption that people have seen. They're like, hey, these guys are corrupt. Like, why would we follow this? So without diving into the political aspect of everything that's going on in America, just look at it from the level of gamma, that there's a lack of leadership. There's a lack of respect for that leadership. There's a lack of understanding of politeness of we're all in this together we don't want to harm each other so let's do the right thing to protect everybody let's be selfless not selfish let's be selfless right so there's two different societies here thailand and, and america which are experiencing different results because their decisions over countless generations have been different but this happened on an individual level. So while we have gamma on an individual level, we also have society gamma as well, as an entire humanity, right? We can use another example, like our environment. Our environment at this point, we can all pretty much agree that over the course of many generations, we've completely destroyed our environment, our planet. We've utterly destroyed it. It can repair itself, and it's showing us that now. 
It's showing us by reducing our human activity, the earth will repair itself pretty quickly. We're seeing examples of that all over the world with this COVID situation. But how did the earth get this way? It was through individual decisions. A lot of individuals making a lot of decisions to throw out a little trash here, to dump a little oil there, to create this business over here. We're gonna dump this sewage over here. These were a lot of individual decisions that have led us to this monumental time in history where we can all see very clearly more than ever before, we've destroyed our environment. It's not just other people. I did that. When I was a child, I was taught to throw trash out the window and I did that for a period of time until I learned otherwise. When I was growing up and had my first car, I changed my oil and I dumped it into the ground and dumped it into the sewer because I didn't know otherwise. But the more that I awakened and understood that those decisions were harming the world, harming the earth, I stopped doing those things. And that's the whole idea here with the Buddhist teachings is the more that we learn that by us causing harm on an individual level, it causes harm to society as a whole. And rather than seeing this isolated situation as just this one decision, understanding how your decision not only impacts you, but it impacts all of humanity. And by doing that, more and more people can learn and practice these teachings and we can experience an improved earth. But more importantly, even we can improve the quality of our life through individual decisions. And that's our karma. Can I just ask a clarification there? So even though we're all part of a society that commits harm to animals and harms the environment, whether we as individuals become discontent and suffer as a result of the society's actions, that's still on us. Yes, 100%. And one of the nice things about Gamma is Gamma is the very best unbiased teacher right? So forget about this whole punishment and rewards thing and forget about somebody who's administering punishment and rewards because that's not what it is. If you look at harm, if you see harm in the world, whether it's the environment, whether somebody talks to you rude, whatever happens in your life, if your immediate decision is what did I do to cause this, then you can resolve it. Then you can fix it. But if we blame everyone else, this is why the Buddhist right speech is not about blaming other people. It's about accepting responsibility for ourselves. Somebody who's practicing these teachings, whenever something bad happens to them, the way to make Gamma your very best unbiased teacher is immediately think about what did I do to cause this? That's someone who's more awake. Because if all these bad things are happening to you and you blame it on everyone else and it's everyone else's fault, then you're perfect. There's nothing for you to change. Everything you're doing is right. But if you're awake and you're awakening your consciousness and you understand this natural law of gamma, that no harm is going to come to you unless you do harm, then whenever harm does come to you, the first thing that should come to your mind is, what did I do to cause this and how can I fix it? Let me find the solution here. So these harms that we see in the world They've gotten to such a pivotal time, such a pivotal time that we can see them so clearly that we've got eight years 
five years, 10 years before this planet is irreversibly changed, that there's no going back, right? People were sounding the alarm all the way through. But the thing about the human beings and humanity is we tend to be somewhat complacent. We tend to be fairly lazy. We tend to be pretty complacent. Even though people have been sounding the alarms for 10, 15, 20, 30 years about climate change, it's only when we're at this point in time that people are really starting to take notice, really starting to take notice in that we're realizing that we can change our decisions and by us changing our decisions, we can change what's happening on the planet. And same thing with our individual lives is if my son walked in right now and if he talked rude to me, I have to look and say, well, why did that happen? What did I do to cause this? Did I talk rude to somebody recently? Did I not teach him properly? Am I not giving him the guidance that he needs? Does, do I need to sit down and spend more time with him? He's only seven and a half years old. He's learning from everything around him. So if he came in and he talked rude to me, then there's something I've done to cause that. So I need to fix that. I need to fix my own practice. I need to spend more time with him. I need to give him some more guidance. I need to sit down and make sure he really understands how to talk polite. Whereas if he walks in at seven and a half years old and he talks rude to me and I think, oh, he's a bad kid. He's just a bad kid. He's horrible. He's, I got a bad one, right? If I think that way, then it's his fault. I just got a bad kid. But if I look at myself and my own practice and what can I do as a parent to remedy this situation, now what I've got is I've got a seven and a half year old boy who's very polite, very respectful, very kind. I can ask him to do anything and he will drop what he's doing and immediately go do it for me. I can ask him, Bailan, go get me a glass of water. Can you get daddy a glass of water? He will stop, go get a glass of water. Uh, Bailan, I need you to do your homework. Finish playing toys and let's do homework. Immediately stops playing toys and does his homework. Now, how did that happen? It was because of gamma. It wasn't like that two years ago. It took me time to gradually train him to the point where now he'll do that. And not only do it with me, but do it with his mom as well. And that's not because he's a good kid. It's not because he's better than everyone else. It's not because I just got lucky and I got a good kid. It's not like that because two years ago, another person might say, wow, he doesn't do anything you say. And that's pretty much true. Like two years ago, he wouldn't really do everything that I would ask him. So what it was is it was me making conscious choices over the last two years to slowly, gradually train him, teach him, spend time with him. And because of that, now I've got a better result that I've got a son who is much more respectful, more kind, not only to me, to his mom, but to other people as well, other people in the community. So we create everything, all the goodness in the world, we create it. All the harm in the world, we create it. 100%. It comes from us. That's what the Buddha is saying here. Beings are owners of their gamma, heirs of their gamma. They have gamma as their origin, gamma as their relative, gamma as their resort. 
whatever gamma they do, good or bad, they are its heirs. Let me read this another way. Beings are the owners of their decisions, heirs of their decisions. They have their decisions as their origin, their decisions as their relative, their decision as their resort. Whatever decisions they do, good or bad, they will experience the results. That's what he's saying here in this teaching. And for those of you guys that are coming from a Christian background, Jesus Christ said exactly the same thing. You reap what you sow. That's Jesus' words. He said exactly the same thing. He just didn't use the word gamma. And a lot of people think that the teachings between Jesus and the Buddha are so different, but they're actually the same. They just use different words. The Buddha is much more clear, more concise. But Jesus said the same thing. You reap what you sow. That's essentially what the Buddha is saying. They're saying exactly the same thing. Our decisions, good or bad, will have certain results, and we will experience that. So Chris asks, what do the people of North Korea do to deserve three generations of dictatorship? How does that work? This is where you have to not get caught up in trying to figure out piece by piece of why this happened or why that happened. Because if you sit here and try to do an accounting for everything in the world of why everything's happening, you're gonna spend a lot of time trying to figure that out. And it's all in the past and it doesn't really impact you anyway. So why spend a lot of time trying to figure out this accounting? However, it is their karma because all the people in North Korea they're following along with the dictatorship, right? The people that are in power, they are allowing this to continue to happen. I can tell you that that dictatorship is not permanent. It will eventually cease to exist at some point. I don't know how that will happen, but it will. I imagine at some point, the people around the dictators will get fed up with it and eventually overthrow it, but that's their gamma because they haven't chosen to overthrow it. People who have had a dictatorship for this long, they're very good at maintaining their power, and they do that through intimidation and through fear, right? If you look at Hitler, right? Hitler tried to do this, and essentially he created more and more war, he killed more and more people, and eventually people overthrew him, right? The entire world overthrew him, where North Korea is on a much smaller scale and those people haven't revolted yet and created better environment for themselves. And that's one side of it. The other side of it is we can't judge North Korea and say that their situation is necessarily good or bad, right? Because if you're living in a democracy and you look at North Korea, you may have been taught that this way of governing, this way of leading a country is bad. And that's the conditioning that you have. And we've heard certain stories of North Korea, of certain harms that are happening there. But who's to say that the people who are running that country and the way in which they're doing it, who's to say whether it's good or bad? It's not our position to judge and say whether it's good or bad. So. 
those people who are in North Korea and the type of government that they've chosen and that they maintain, that's their choices. They've created those decisions and they're getting the result of those decisions. And whether those decisions are good or bad, the North Korean people know that and they choose to do what they choose to do. We should not judge them as good or bad. We should just say, okay, well, they've chosen to have one family essentially maintain control over multiple generations, and that's the way they choose to run their country, and it works for them, and that's what they've chosen. Just let them be. Unfortunately, in our way of thinking in the U.S., is the U.S. wants everybody to be like the U.S. The U.S. is craving for the entire world to be the same as the U.S., and we tend to judge other governments and we try to say that they're wrong and we're right. But why is America so right? Is it because of the ego? Why is America so right? Why does Americans think that they're the greatest country in the world? What evidence do we have that America is the greatest country in the world? Do we have that evidence? You know, sitting here in Thailand, I'm not deciding who is the great greatest country in the world, but I'm saying any group of people who stand up and say, we are the greatest in the world, that's ego. Everybody has to be like us, that's craving, that's ego, right? Because if you look at America, you know, significant amount of COVID cases, drug abuse, murders, human trafficking, you know, there's a lot of bad things. There's a lot of good things that happen there too. A lot of good things that happen in America, but there's also a lot of bad things too. America was created by murdering and killing Native Americans and pushing them back. So I don't necessarily see Thailand as the greatest country in the world. I don't necessarily see America as the greatest country or, or North Korea. What I would say is don't judge any of these people. Make good personal choices for yourself about where you feel is best for you to live and what type of environment you would like to live in. I choose to live in Thailand for many, many, many different reasons, many different reasons. But you have to get to the point where you're not judging other countries and other people through a lens that other people have created and said that if you're not a democracy, you're not good. Because there's all different types of governments around the world and everybody manages themselves differently. And we can't expect that everyone's gonna have the exact same government. This is what America does, right? Everybody has to be exactly the same as us. Everyone should have the same democracy as us. This is craving permanence. This is craving permanence, right? This is the whole problem that the Buddha discovered is that the mind is craving permanence and it's discontent. So going around doing regime change, creating wars, killing people, America spends a significant amount of money on military and is very fearful that they're gonna be attacked. So therefore the people in America have to work a whole lot, have to work tremendous amount in order to support this massive military. Why? Because American people are fearful that they're gonna get attacked. Right. So this is getting into 
maybe some personal issues that some people may be having a little challenge with. But what I'm hopefully sharing with you in terms of gamma is this is all gamma. The fact that America has the biggest military in the world is because there's so much fear there that people are going to attack them. That's gamma. The fact that Americans work so hard and work so long hours, that's gamma because they're supporting this military and all the other expenses in the country, right? Because they have the craving to have everybody exactly the same as them as a democracy and they're sending out money to all these countries all over the world, it's putting a lot of work on the backs of American people in order to support that. So I'm not here to say whether that's right or wrong or whether those are good decisions or bad decisions, but what I'm saying is all of these decisions lead to a certain result, and that's gamma. Everything is gamma. So Dev asks, do animals generate gamma, and how is residual gamma from the previous life transferred to the current life? Excellent question. Yes, animals generate gamma. Even though as a child you were unaware of the natural law of gravity, you were still affected by it, even though you were unaware of it. Even though you're unaware of this natural law of gamma, you're still affected by it as a human being. And same with animals. It's a natural law. For example, if a lion comes out of an African uh, reservation or reserve and attacks villagers in Africa and kills villagers, those villagers are going to probably build up a war party and go seek that lion and go kill it. That's gamma. Right? So animals are generating gamma as well. And conversely, if you look at animals like dogs or cats or even elephants and other animals that are more loving, more kind, more peaceful, those animals tend to have more warmth and love around them because they're more loving, more warm. Right? So this natural law of gamma, it's a natural law. It applies to all things everywhere. It applies not only to human beings, whether we're aware of the natural law of gamma or not, it applies to animals too, even though they're unaware of it. So this is why the more aware of the natural law of gamma you become, it's just like becoming more aware of the natural law of gravity, you will function in society more peacefully. Now, how does your gamma come from previous lives? Because essentially what's happened to all of us, whether you remember this at this point or not, is you've been born multiple times. Countless times there's been rebirths. You probably just don't remember them right now. But you've had all these millions and millions of births, most likely in a lot of them in the animal world. Eventually, you build up enough gamma. Remember, animals are, are, have gamma as well. You build up enough gamma that you obtain this human state where you're born into the human realm. And the human realm is the absolute best realm to attain enlightenment. In the lower realms, like in the animal realm, you can't attain enlightenment. You can't end the cycle of rebirth. Being in the animal realm is like a prison. It's, being, it's like being trapped. You have to go through countless rebirths before you get to the human realm. Once you're in the human realm, you are a new being. When you were a squirrel before, you're not that same squirrel now that you're a human. Or when you were a lion before, you're not that same lion. Or even if you were human before, you're not that same human. You're a new being. There's a new form, which is the physical body, 
and there's a new consciousness. But when there was death in the previous being's life, and the new life was created, whatever craving existed in that previous life gets transferred into this new life. So craving is what determines whether there is rebirth. So not only does craving cause discontentedness and causes a lot of bad decisions in life, but craving causes rebirth. It's the fuel that causes rebirth. So craving decides if there is rebirth, but gamma decides what condition, where in the world, and what type of family, what type of situation you're born into. Once you're born into that situation, this new consciousness, this new mind, and this new body, it's a new being, but it still has craving from the previous life. And you're gonna generate gamma based on that new craving based on the, this new life, this craving. Let me give you an example. I've already seen previous births in my life. I saw many, 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 many countless animals, and I saw two previous human births. One of those human births, the very first one, I was a monk. The second one, I was also a spiritual leader as well, but this other spiritual leader died very early. When I died in each of these human births, there were certain cravings that got transferred, certain memories that got transferred from one birth to the next, okay? When I was going through this life, I didn't have immediate recall of those previous births. It wasn't until I started practicing these teachings more and more and more that I started recalling more and more of these memories from these previous births. And when I did, it made me aware more and more of things that I was doing in this life based on cravings from these previous lives. So in the life immediately previous to this, I was a carpenter, I was like a workman, I was a person who worked with their hands and worked with wood. I only knew that in the last three, four years. But when I was young in my 20s, and all through my life, I always had this burning craving to do carpentry. I was never trained to be a carpenter. I never had a job as a carpenter. I was never trained or had experience in carpentry. But for example, when I graduated college and I bought a condo, it was practically a brand new condo, but I ripped the whole thing apart and rebuilt it. Not because I had to, but I just had this burning craving to do it. I ripped out the carpet, ripped out the drywall, replaced the tiles, ceramic tiles, wallpaper, crown molding, new drywall, new baseboards, painting, new wood floors. I did all of this carpentry work. At the time, it was just like, I'm interested in doing it and I just did it. I didn't know anything else. I just had a craving for it and I just did it. And then in the last three or four years, looking back, realizing now that craving and all through my life doing carpentry work, it came from the previous life right before this. So the gamma that's being transferred, it's not actually this bank account, this magical bank account that's following these different lives. It's the craving from each life transferring into this new life. And because they're still craving for certain things, that craving causes the gamma in this life. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense, David.
Thank you. What about everyone else? Does everyone else get that? That it's not this like cloud, it's not this bank account that's following you around. It's that the craving is what's moving from life to life. And it's that craving, that hatred, that delusion that's creating the gamma in this life. And this is a great chance to go to this second bullet that we have on the screen here where the Buddha is saying, bhikkhus, this is the monks, there are these three causes for the origination of gamma. What three? Greed is a cause for the origination of gamma. Hatred is the cause for the origination of gamma. Delusion is the cause for the origination of gamma. And remember, craving, anger, ignorance, or unknowing of true reality is just another word for greed, hatred, and delusion. So Max asked this question in our last session, is there a way to create unwholesome gamma outside of greed, hatred, and delusion? And right away I said no, because I know it to be true through my own practice, but I also know it from the Buddha's words right here that what causes gamma is greed or craving, hatred, anger, this delusion, ignorance, or unknowing of true reality, this is what's causing gamma. Wholesome gamma and unwholesome gamma. But essentially these three poisons are creating unwholesome gamma. But when you reverse these and you transform them into generosity for the first one, now your generosity is creating wholesome gamma. When you transform this hatred or anger into loving kindness, now you're generating wholesome gamma through that loving kindness. And when you transform this delusion or ignorance or unknowing of true reality into wisdom, now you're going to generate wholesome gamma based on that wisdom. So it's the craving that's moving from birth to birth to birth that gets implanted in this new consciousness. And it's that craving that's causing the unwholesome results because you're craving and you're doing things in this life, but the things that you're doing in this life are based on cravings from the past life. I think this might be a good time to go to Sean's question. So um, Sean asked about burning off unwholesome karma and he asks, should he then accept his physical suffering as a result of burning off that karma? of, the, of the, um, the result of causing physical suffering to others in the past? This is great. And I would say yes, absolutely. This is what you have to do to burn off your gamma. And I'll give you an example. When I first started really diving into these teachings and started practicing them really, really well, prior to that time, I was a pretty angry, pretty hostile person. I was rude. I was disrespectful. I wasn't polite in some relationships. Now in other relationships I was, but in some relationships I was pretty rude and I caused harm. And particularly I'm thinking about with my wife, right? Cause she was closest to me. So I caused a lot of harm there. So when I started practicing these teachings closely and I started improving what I was doing more and more and more, even though I was improving the condition of my mind, my wife was still talking to me really rude, really angry, really disrespectful. She still had resentment for certain things that I did to her in the past. Now, when her anger came out and she was frustrated at me and she would talk bad to me, 
if I wasn't practicing these teachings and I started being hostile and angry back to her, that's just keeping the problem going. That's just making the problem worse. But because I was practicing these teachings closely and I realized that I needed to, to extinguish this unwholesome gamma, I needed to clean up this mess that I had made from before. As I was practicing these teachings more and more and I was cleaning up my practice, as she was being angry and hostile and resentful to me, I just accepted it. I was just calm. I was just peaceful. I just listened to her words, let her vent, let her be angry. And then when she got done with it, then I politely, kindly did whatever I needed to do and had whatever conversations I needed to have. Over the course of six months or a year, eventually she saw me being more kind, more polite, more calm, more peaceful, and her practice started to change. She started to improve the way that she related to me. She started being more polite, more respectful. She let go of the resentment. And now we don't have bad words between us. It's been, I don't even know how long. We don't argue. We don't get frustrated. We're not, we're just peaceful. We're just calm. We're just content. We're just joyful around each other because we're both practicing really, really closely. So we don't have any disagreements. Well, we might disagree, have a difference of opinion, but we talk that out politely and calmly, and then we come to a final decision. But we don't do that in the way we used to in the past. In the past, if we disagreed, we might argue and get frustrated and angry at each other trying to push our point, where now we've learned and we've practiced to the point where we're comfortable allowing this disagreement. She has one opinion, I have another one, and we can politely, kindly come to a final decision. And it might not be my decision, it might not be her decision, but we agree with it nonetheless. So I had to burn off that gamma. And I had to do that with her, I had to do it with my son, I had to do it in other situations. So that's how you burn off the gamma is recognize that even in that situation where I have to improve my practice, even she was getting angry at me and I knew that I hadn't done anything at that point and I knew she's causing her own anger because she's attached to me. I needed to be calm, peaceful, and patient and allow that anger to come out and she needed to extinguish that anger. And in order to do that, if I became hostile and angry back to her, that's just making the comma, the comma worse. It's like taking a rubber ball in a, in a room and bouncing the ball and it's just gonna keep bouncing all over the place. What you need to do is you need to catch the ball or you need to ignore the ball. So when my wife started being resentful or angry at me at a certain time, sometimes I just walked away. And she realized that every time she got angry, every time she started yelling, David walks away. And she realized over time that she's not going to have a conversation with me while she's yelling and angry. She's going to have to calm down. She's going to have to talk polite. She's going to have to be peaceful. And that's the only way I'll stay in the room and talk. And over time, she slowly trained her mind to be more peaceful, more calm, more serene, more content with joy so that now we can talk about anything and everything and life is good. Life is peaceful but it required me to clean up the gamma that I'd created in the past and extinguish that. Amina asks, knowing and believing that karma exists, is it not best to do no harm and be generous towards others, even without the expectation 
to expect good karma in return. Yes, 100%. But let me help Amina with one thing. Don't ever believe karma. Don't ever believe that it exists. You have to know it exists 100% true. And if you're not there yet, that's okay. What you want to do is you want to learn these teachings so clearly and observe gamma in daily life so clearly that it's as clear as day. And the more you learn the teachings of the Buddha and you see everything around you is happening because of gamma, you won't have belief anymore. You'll know it's true 100%. So don't believe gamma. Don't ever believe gamma. But know that it's true 100%. The more you get in touch with that, the more you'll be able to see gamma as clear as day. What's the last part of that question there, Max? So it was so it was knowing and believing that camera exists, is it not best to do no harm and be generous, even without the expectation to have something good come back to us to expect a karma? Yes. So Amina's hitting on something really important there. Is if you're gonna be polite, if you're gonna be respectful. If you're choosing to practice that way, if you're choosing to be kind, to be friendly, to practice these teachings, you need to do it because you know it's the right thing to do. You need to have the intention of causing no harm, harmlessness, and doing it because you know it's the right thing to do, not because you want other people to treat you well. Because you can't dictate and you can't determine how other people are going to treat you. You can't make that decision only they can so if you practice these teachings and try to produce all this good gamma just because you expect something in return or if you're generous just because you expect something in return then that's the wrong reason to do it and it's not going to have the same benefit so you have to learn and practice these teachings because you know they're the right thing to do they're improving your life improving the quality of your mind and you do them because they're good and they're wholesome not expecting any return. And taking this back to last week when I asked you guys for support for the audiobook, if you remember, I, I just asked for your support and I asked if you could help me with donations. I didn't tell you the second part of that. The second part of that is I'm going to give you the book for free anyway, just because I, I would like to give it to you guys for free. It's going to end up going on Amazon because that's another distribution way that I can distribute it and reach more people. But I was planning to give it to all my students for free, all the people that are studying uh, with me. But Amazon just offers a way to reach millions and millions of people. I wish I could give it away for free on there too, but I can't. So I didn't want to tell you guys that at the same time that I was seeking your donation because I didn't want you to give me a donation based on expecting to get a free book. And nobody did that because you didn't hear those words from me. People who donated money last week did so out of their own generosity and out of being uh, practicing these teachings and not expecting anything in return. But as far as me, because you guys are supporting me, because you are making donations, you are helping me to provide these teachings, Gamma is I'm going to give this book to you back for free. Whether you donate $5 or you've donated $200, I'm going to give you this audiobook for free because you guys are the ones who are contributing to make it happen. So whenever we create gamma, it always has to be practicing non-attachment. Non-attachment is also 
without wanting, without expecting. Expectations and wanting, those are other words that we use for attachment or craving or desire. So you have to eliminate all of that craving, that expectation, that wanting, and practice these teachings without the expectation of anything in return. Sounds great. Thanks, David. So we have a question from Dev on Zoom. So Dev asks, taking the precepts into consideration, if I kill an animal, say a mosquito or a dog, which is trying to bite my child, does it generate karma as my intent is to protect and not to kill? Uh, this is a really good question. I cover this one in the book, um, and we'll cover it here too. So if, adult, if you and your child are walking down the street peacefully, holding hands and just walking on the sidewalk, and a stray dog runs up and starts viciously attacking you and your child, and you choose to fight back, and you happen to need to kill that dog in order to protect you and your, your child, that's the gamma of the dog. This is how animals create gamma as well. Because that dog's attacking you, you had no other choice but to kill it. And at that point, the best thing to do is practice harmlessness and try to protect yourselves without killing the animal because that's going to produce the least amount of unwholesome gamma. But if you have no other option but to kill the animal, then that's just what you have to do. And that was that animal's gamma. But what you need to do in that situation is you know, make sure that you're not killing out of a desire to kill and also that you teach your child to help them understand why you killed because the last thing you would want to do is leave the impression with your child that they should kill in every situation and that's a good thing. So you have to release any guilt or any shame that you might have, realize that you made the best decision that you could based on the circumstances and situation that was presented that was the gamma of the dog. So in that situation, the worst thing that could potentially happen to you is maybe the government would have some questions for you of why you killed the dog. Maybe the homeowner, or I'm sorry, not the homeowner, the owner of the dog might get angry with you or fearful with you. That's the gamma that, or that you might inherit as part of killing the dog. You might have to talk to the police. You might have to talk to the animal control people. You might have to talk to different people in your community. You might have to talk to the dog owner. And by talking to all these people and helping them see, hey, I really didn't want to kill this dog, but I had no other choice. Look at the blood on my son's leg. Look at the teeth marks on my arm. I had no other choice. If I would have allowed this to happen, then we would have been dead, not the dog. And in that situation, those people should hopefully understand that you've communicated in a very calm, peaceful, content way that I didn't mean harm. That wasn't my goal. I was just trying to protect myself and my child. And if you do that with a calm, content mind, you're going to have better results than if you your mind is very discontent and discombobulated and very angry and very fearful. If you just come across very clear, very concise, and let them know, hey, I, I meant no harm, but I had no other choice. This was a result of the dog's behavior, and you do that in a very calm, clear way, I think the normal person is probably gonna see your point 
Therefore, you're not going to have anything harmful come to you. Conversely, if you walk down the street and there was a dog behind a fence and it was barking at you and you just didn't like the barking and you killed that dog, that's going to cause unwholesome results for you because the homeowner and people are going to see like, hey, the dog was just behind the fence. It wasn't hurting you. It wasn't hurting your child. You just chose to kill it. So you can see these teachings aren't black and white. There's a gray area. And that's where you have to practice harmlessness. And if you're going to kill this dog, make sure that it's really just the last resort, that you have no other choice. And people will be able to see that. And you won't suffer bad consequences as part of it. Also, speaking of mosquitoes, I remember when I first went to Asia, being a, you know, a British guy, fresh blood, they seemed to really take to me i got a lot of bites and they tended to react pretty badly and i reacted quite badly to, to them but over the time i took the approach of the local people more this is in malaysia and thailand and just sort of ignored them yeah and what was interesting is that actually i got fewer bites and this took time but i started to get fewer mosquito bites and when i did get bitten they weren't nearly as bad yeah i forgot about the mosquito part of that question Uh, Let's talk about that. I talked a little bit about it on Wednesday in our class about loving kindness. So if a mosquito or a fly or some kind of bug lands on you and you smash it, okay, you killed a mosquito. So are a bunch of other mosquitoes going to come and get you? Like what's going to really happen, right? So it's not like there's a where there's not a one for one. Somebody asked a question about this in this class. Is there a one for one? And the answer is no. Because if you killed that mosquito, it's not like a lion's going to come and attack you because you killed a mosquito. It's not a one for one. But what it is, is if you're practicing to the point where an insect lands on you and you kill it, there's a certain amount of hatred, a certain amount of anger, a certain amount of craving in the mind, a certain amount of way of being that whenever you see an insect, you're killing it. That's going to translate into other parts of your life. So it's not that just because you killed that mosquito that someone's now going to come and kill you. That would be punishment and reward, right? That would be somebody's administering this and there's a one-on-one situation that's happening. That's not what's happening here. What's happening here is you're training your mind to practice more and more harmlessness. You're training your mind to be more peaceful, more calm, more serene, and more content with joy. So if an insect lands on you and you're smashing it with your hand, there's a certain amount of craving and hatred or anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance that goes with that. So if you can train your mind to just brush it off or blow it off, then you're going to see that you're going to have better results in training your mind. Because if you're practicing to the level of not harming a mosquito, how could you ever harm this human being who's your neighbor who just happens to be playing some loud music today. This neighbor happens to be playing some loud music. I know it's impermanent. We've got lots of relationship between us. He's helped me. I've helped him. It's impermanent. They're having a three, four hour party. No big deal. Why go over there and be angry and frustrated and talk bad to people and create a bunch of bad karma? Well, just harmlessness. Let them enjoy the party. No big deal. Right. Just play some loud music for three or four hours. So you might make a decision like that or you might not. You might be sick. You might have an infant in the house. 
you might say, you know what, let me go over here and politely ask him to turn the music down. That's why there's 10 million right answers. And the wrong answer would be to go over there and be hostile and angry. That's not going to produce good gamma. So there's lots of right answers and all of this stuff. But with the mosquito or insect, you want to, if possible, train the mind to the point where you don't want to harm anything. And this will translate into driving, into personal relationships, into professional relationships, into all the different decisions that you make. You're going to notice that you will practice harmlessness more and more and more. And back to another example of Thailand is when COVID first hit, the leaders hadn't come out and really told Thai people what to do and how to combat this. But Thai people being wise and investigating this on their own, I saw lots of situations where like motorbike taxis who they're basically a taxi and they have somebody sitting on the back. They knew how COVID got transferred from person to person. So even though they were still working, when they would accept a customer, they had a little bottle of hand sanitizer and they would squirt you with the hand sanitizer to clean your hands. Then they would take the hand sanitizer and they would clean the helmet really good and they would put it on, on your head. And then if you had a face mask, you had a face mask. So nobody had to tell them to do this because they were already practicing harmlessness. They knew that this virus translates from person to person they knew that they were having close contact on this motorbike taxi. They knew that they were using this helmet from person to person to person. So they came up with a solution for themselves to practice harmlessness. Same thing when I went to my barber right after COVID hit, they usually use a straight razor to shave. After they cut your hair, they use a straight razor to, to shave you. Well, when I went in there that time, they said, okay, we're not going to use the straight razor because of COVID, because they didn't want to get it near my, my nose, near my mouth, because then it would be used by multiple customers and that could spread COVID. Not because the politicians told them to, not because anybody told them to, but on an individual level, they were practicing harmlessness at that barbershop, at that motorbike taxi, at that restaurant, and people implemented their own decisions based on the information that they had to cause no harm. And by practicing in that way, this is one of the reasons why Thailand has very low numbers of COVID because right away, as soon as the news hit, a lot of people looked at their life and said, well, what can I do in my role as a waiter, as a motorbike taxi, as a barber, that I can help stop the spread of this disease? Not because politicians told us to, but because we made the choice to practice harmlessness. And we know that this virus is going to cause harm. So let's figure out a way to practice harmlessness. So by doing that with mosquitoes and flies and insects, you'll notice that it'll translate to other parts of your life. So on Facebook, Alea asks, what about unfinished business with people? How does that appear as karma in this life and the next life? I would need to understand more about unfinished business, what she means by that. So if she's listening, maybe she can put more information into that. But let me just use this as an opportunity to talk about something while she's maybe putting her thoughts in for more. Unfinished business, that can mean a lot of different things. But let's just say you have a relationship with somebody and the relationship ends on bad terms and it's been five years. And now you've decided to learn and practice these teachings you don't necessarily need to go back to that person and resolve that conflict 
because they've moved on with their life and you've moved on with your life. It's been five years. It's in the past. You just move on. Uh, the past is in the past. So if you still have unresolved conflicts in the mind, if you're still having problems, like say it's somebody closer to you, like a mom or a dad or a partner that, that you're still with, if there's unresolved conflicts and you're still in that person's life, then yes, I suggest that you sit down and talk with them to try to resolve these conflicts and look at what you can do that you're, do, you're causing problems. Don't try to train them to do things your way and try to blame them that it's their fault. Try to look at how you can bring more peacefulness to this relationship. But if there's an unresolved situation from in the past, whether it's a few months ago or a few years ago, just let it be in the past. There's no reason to go back and try to sort that out because whatever it was that caused the conflict at that, that time, even though you've moved on and you've evolved and you've forgiven them, it doesn't mean that they've done the same and you may be opening up old wounds and it doesn't really make sense to go back because now it's going to generate more unwholesome gamma. Just let it be in the past. If it happened and it's in the past, just let it be and move on and just focus on creating more and more good, wholesome gamma with all the people that are in your life now. Yeah, so Leia says that you've answered it. She then follows up and says, if there's no contact at all or if they've died. So I think the same applies. Yeah, just let it go. You, If they've died and you have resentment or you've had unfinished business, you have to just let it go. And just because if you have craving and you want to solve this problem with this person, if you have craving, it's going to cause discontentness. And if you have craving, it's going to cause a rebirth. So you've got to let it go. That's why letting go of attachment, letting go of the craving, the desire, practicing non-attachment, it's so important because the longer you hold on to this unresolved situation, it's just going to cause the mind to be more and more discontent. And if you don't let go of it before you die, it's going to cause rebirth. So you've got to just let it go, let it be in the past. So just as a follow-up for myself, I, th I think we sometimes feel as though we have to go and fix everything in the world that we've yes. caused. There's a, there's a yeah, desire. Actually, oh, sorry, Max, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's, it's, I feel like it's not so much about that, but actually it's about, it's about fixing whatever happened in our own minds that gave rise to that effect. Yes. There's this desire. There's this craving in Western culture that we want everybody to like us. Everybody's got to like us, right? And somehow we feel more worthy if nobody says anything bad about us. And we spend all this exhaustive time going around and trying to make everybody like us. And we're uncomfortable with somebody just disagreeing with us or someone just doesn't like us. Well, go back to the Buddha, Gautama Buddha. During his lifetime, when he discovered the truth, he was the only person that understood how to attain enlightenment. Even though there was lots of teachers around him that said they knew how to do it, even though the Brahmin were already practicing, all these people were against him because what he had to teach was completely opposite of what everybody already thought they knew. So he had a lot of people that didn't like him, right? If he thought, well, I've got to get all these people to like me first, then I'll start teaching we wouldn't be here talking about his teachings. But he just ignored that these people don't like him and he just focused on the truth. 
So if we go around with this endless craving, this desire, this attachment that everyone has to like us, we're never going to get that because that's permanence. It doesn't mean you're rude, you're polite, you're, you're angry to people. You still got to practice these teachings. But if somebody comes to you and they say, I don't like that you're teaching the Buddhist teachings. You're not a monk. How dare you teach the Buddhist teachings? You still live at home. What gives you the right to teach the Buddhist teachings? Well, am I going to change that person's mind? I haven't done anything. I just met this person for the first time and they're venting, they're angry, they're frustrated at me. What am I going to do to solve that? I can be polite. I can be kind. I can try to talk to them. But at the end of the day, if they're angry and hostile and they think just because I'm not a monk, I shouldn't be teaching, then I'm not going to change that. And for me, I have enough students and thousands and thousands of people that I've taught over the years that get enormous amount of benefit out of what I teach. So am I really going to allow this one person to change how I think about what I'm doing? So that's where you have to have an unshakable mind and realize that this person's anger, this person's frustration, this person's hatred, they're causing it themselves. I didn't do anything to cause it. I'm just helping people learn the Buddhist teachings. So if somebody attacks me for doing so, that's their fault. That's their craving. I didn't cause that. So we have to eliminate this conditioning of the mind that we learn in Western culture that everybody has to like us. And we will only like ourselves if everybody likes us. Because you're going to do things in this world that people disagree with. And just because they disagree with you doesn't mean you're right and they're wrong or they're right and you're wrong. But just get comfortable with not everyone's always going to agree with the things that you do in this life. And that's okay. But you have to make good, wholesome decisions that you know are right for your life. And whether people agree or disagree with that, you just have to know with 100% certainty that you're making this good decision based on certain information that you know is important. I remember you saying to me, David, that as long as we're practicing right intention and we know hand on heart that we have not acted out of greed and we have not acted out of anger or hatred, then we can say with 100% confidence that if someone else has an issue with the way we are or behaving, then it must be them. It must be something that they're attached to giving rise to that. Yeah, exactly. I can give you example after example of just me teaching these teachings where I've had thousands and thousands of people have been very, very happy and, and glad that I'm doing that. But I've had a handful of people that, that aren't happy with me because I'm teaching for various reasons, different reasons. And that's them. That's their issue. It has nothing to do with me. It's just in their own mind. I can give you example after example of other decisions I made in my life, not just teaching the Buddhist teachings, but other things like when I first decided to open up a Thai massage business in America. I used to work for a Department of Defense contractor, a bunch of ex-military people. And I was leaving that job to go open up a massage business or in their minds, a massage parlor, right? I was the laughing stock of the office for the six or eight week notice that I gave them, right? And if I would have followed what they said and took all the ridiculing to heart and never opened that business, 
I would never be where I am today and all the things that I accomplished. I accomplished an amazing amount of things. That was the best decision I ever made in my entire life to leave the corporate world and go open that business. Best decision I ever made in my life. But for six to eight weeks, I was ridiculed. People talked down about it. And essentially what that was doing for me, each one of those conversations, it was it was confirming for me that I had made the right decision because each time I was in one of those conversations, I had to walk away from it knowing that I was on the right path and this is what I needed to do. And it didn't matter how much ridiculing and how much people said to me, I was determined to do what I needed to do and I did it. I did it well and I had a lot of success doing it and it was the absolute best decision I'd ever made. So you have to get comfortable realizing that not everyone's going to agree with all the decisions you make in life and they don't have to. The only person that needs to agree with the decisions that you make in your life is you. That's the only person because you know your life. You know the variables in your life. You know what you're trying to achieve in your life and only you have to agree with the decisions that you make. Sometimes students will ask me questions. David, I want to move to China. Is that a good decision? Or David, I want to do this. Is that a good decision? I never give them an answer. I say, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to teach you how to train your mind, how to purify your mind. You make whatever decisions that are best for you. Whether you move to China or not is your decisions and it's your gamma or you're going to get the result of that. I'm not here to make decisions like that on an individual basis. I'm just here to guide you in how to train your mind and then you make your own decisions. So only you have to agree with the decisions that you make and get comfortable with that. And if you're making your decisions based on these teachings and based on you purifying your mind and training your mind, then you'll always know you're headed in the right direction, even if other people disagree with you. And sometimes those disagreements that people have, it's a very good test for you so that you know that you're on the right path because it's testing your mind. Each one of those conversations that I had at my previous job, it was testing my mind. Are you really gonna open this Thai massage business? Is that really what you want? Is that really your path in life? And every single conversation, yes, that's what I'm doing. And it turned out to be the very best decision I ever made in my life. And nobody agreed with me uh, at that point in time. There was only one other person that agreed with me that that was a good decision. Um, and it was the person who was my partner in actually opening that, that business. And it ended up being the most successful thing that I've ever done in my entire life. So you can use these disagreements that people have with you sometime as a way of, of testing your mind, how committed and dedicated you really are to your decision. Because if somebody else can throw you off of your decision and somebody else can, can push you in a different direction off your path, then you weren't really committed to it to begin with. So it can be a really great test of your mind of how committed and dedicated you are. Great stuff. Okay, David, at least we have one more question which has just come in and it's from High Roll on Facebook. So he asks, how about someone, if someone took someone's life like accident drunk driver killed my dad, is it my dad's karma from his past life? Um, we don't necessarily know whether that was from his past life or from this life, but we know it was his gamma. And again, it's not a punishment and it's not a reward. 
it could be just the fact that your dad just happened to decide to get in that particular car, drive on that particular street at that particular time, and boom. It doesn't mean that he did anything bad in the past. It could be. It could be. In his previous life, he, he might have murdered somebody. He might have done some harms that are coming to him in this life. It could be. We don't know. There's no way to figure out that relationship, that accounting of why did this happen? It could be just, like I said, as simple as he chose to get in that particular car on that particular day, drive on that particular street, and that's why it happened. So the best way to deal with this is just to realize that that was gamma. It happened and it's over. And your dad's life is over. And he either has attained nibbana and moved on or he's being reborn and potentially to another life it's in the past and you have to let go of any painful feelings that you might have as a result of losing your father so it doesn't necessarily mean that he did something bad and that's why that happened it could just be something very simple that he just chose to drive on that street at that time okay so that's all our questions for now okay So what I'll do then is just end today's class by saying thank you all for joining. Thank you for choosing to learn the teachings of the Buddha. As you see, Gama is not this mystical, magical thing that exists in the clouds somewhere. We're not making this deposits and withdrawals. There's nobody managing or administering, dishing out rewards and punishments. That's not how life works. Essentially, all the decisions that we make in life lead to a certain result. And we have 100% control over all those decisions that we make. And that's the beauty of this life, is whatever is going on in your life right now, no matter how hectic or how peaceful, how challenging your life might be right now at this particular time, you can make good, wholesome positive decisions from this point in your life and improve your life. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. Even if you've murdered in the past, you can make good, wholesome decisions now going forward and still attain this mental state of enlightenment. Nothing that's happened in your past is going to hold you back from attaining enlightenment now. Because you've attained this human state You can learn these teachings, practice these teachings, and attain this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. And it's not attached to the past. It's not this reward and punishment. It's not this being overseeing gamma and dishing out rewards and punishment. You have 100% control over your ability to learn and practice these teachings to improve your quality of life improve the quality of mind. And all you need to do is continue to learn, continue to practice, practice breathing mindfulness meditation, practice generosity, practice loving kindness meditation, and practice loving kindness in your daily life. Keep learning the teachings and acquiring wisdom, and your life's gonna continually improve, your mind is gonna continually improve through learning these teachings and applying them in meditation, but in your life practice. It's going to take time. It's a gradual progression to enlightenment, but through your dedication, through your commitment, through 
working diligently, not being complacent, you'll be able to slowly, gradually move towards this mental state of enlightenment. So thank you guys for joining. I appreciate all the time and effort that you're putting into learning and practicing these teachings. May you continue to learn, continue to grow, and may all of you be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. Thank you so much. Sawadikap. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment. Enlightenment.